are there any arguments? Does two plus two equals something else? You know, no matter how you go through, no matter how you work it out, the fact is, is that two plus two is always going to equal four. It just is just always going to be that way. There's no situation in the universe where two plus two is not going to add up to four. Well, there's something else that is science and it's fixed and it'll never change. And that is the raising up of Jesus is the casting down of the devil. Let me say it again. The raising up of Jesus is at the same time the casting down of the accuser. Which means that when Jesus was raised up, lifted up into glory, to become the one who speaks for you before the Father, the accuser was cast out. The Father will never permit, never allow the devil to come and talk to him about you. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that fantastic news? That uh, when we fix our hope and our faith on Jesus, we know that we make mistakes, we know that we sin, but when we do, the Bible says we have an advocate with the Father. He is there and His blood is ever speaking concerning our forgiveness. All we have to do is go before the Lord and be honest and say, well, Father, forgive me. And, the fa and, and Dad is going to look at you and say, well, what are we talking about? He's not wanting you to describe your sin and the mistakes you've made. He's wanting to know on what basis are you talking to me about your shortcoming? And that's your opportunity to say, Father, I'm speaking to you. I'm asking. I'm sorry. I blew it. I know that you have furnished a do-over, a second chance. There's no accuser standing there saying to the Father, he doesn't deserve a second chance. You know this is his, his hundredth time this week of doing the same thing. But to remember Peter going to Jesus and saying, I'm supposed to forgive my brother seven times? Seven times? Jesus said, no, how about seven times 70 a day? 490 times in a day. In one day, why would God tell you to forgive your husband, your wife, your friend, or whoever it might be, 490 times in one day for the same thing if the Father is not already ready to forgive you. The accuser is no longer before the Father. And that means, where is he? He's that one sitting on your shoulder, screaming in your head every time you fail, every time you fall short. He's the one saying, don't bother praying. Don't bother looking to God. You should be ashamed of yourself. He's the one, the Bible says, who is cast down having great fury. And he now projects all of that hate and that fury at you, trying to ruin your access to the grace of God, your access to the Father. But if you'll brush aside, and I know that's easier said than done, if you'll simply brush aside, remember that he's only there shouting in your head. The Father's not listening to a word he's saying. The blood of Jesus is speaking before the Father. They are forgiven. I have forgiven them. And remember that Jesus loves you. Remember that you are welcomed and you are wanted in the throne room of God. Well, the scripture says that Jesus endured that terrible cross. 
He died in a sin-soaked sea of betrayal and corruption. Even his disciples were all failing all around him. And every instance of failure, he spoke a word of forgiveness, a word of grace. Why would Jesus do that? The scripture says as much as he hated what he was going through, despising the shame of the cross, there was something in front of him that he was looking at. And Hebrew says, who for the joy set before him. What was it that Jesus possibly could have been excited in anticipating that helped him lower his shoulder, lift up his eyes to the Father and get through that betrayal, that horrible circumstance that he went through. Well, it wasn't the misery ending. It wasn't, oh, this will be over. I'll be able to put up my feet soon and relax, be with the angels. Everything's going to be fine. Um, But the scripture says he was born crucified. He came into the world looking with anticipation, looking to the cross. And he even shuddered in the garden. You could see the, the humanity just shuddered, thinking what I'm about to go through. But he received that grace and went through it. The Bible says, who for the joy set before him. Well, do you remember the doors and the gates of heaven lifting up that I read to you about? The Bible says when they lifted up their heads and they sang and worshipped Jesus coming through. In your mind, I bet you see Jesus coming through that gate by himself. But the Bible says Jesus didn't come through the gates by himself. The scripture says that Jesus went and got a train. I don't know how big that train was, but uh, however big it needed to be for every single soul that had died up to the point of Jesus' crucifixion, in hope, looking for the Messiah, died in faith, was held in a place called paradise, Jesus stopped off and he emptied that place called paradise. They waited for the Messiah, and one day that door, another door, the door to Abraham's bosom, that door opened up. I'm here, let's go. Let's not waste any time, just leave everything. We got more stuff up there. And the Bible says that when Jesus entered the gates of heaven, they were singing, they were shouting, they were rejoicing, not just because God had defeated the devil, had risen from the dead, but because he had you and I in his arms. He was carrying us with him when he rose. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but when I think about that, the first thing I think about is, so that is what love is. Somebody cared enough about me that when I was the worst stinker, the most awful that I couldn't even stand myself, Jesus carried me through the gates of glory. The reason you and I are going to be welcomed in heaven when we draw our last breath is because we're already there. Our names are already written in the Lamb's Book of Life. When Jesus rose from the dead, he carried humanity with him. Hallelujah. So this final thing I want to share with you, out of Acts chapter 2, the Bible says, God raised him up having released him from the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held in its power. 
I thought about that verse, and I thought about it's not possible for Jesus to be held by the pains of death. I know that his death must have been indescribably painful. But when the scripture's talking about the pains of death that held him, and that it was not possible for them to hold on to him, I'm sure that they weren't talking about the physical pains, but something worse. Something that we saw when Jesus, moments before he died, cried out and said, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? You've read that in your Bible and you've probably thought, what a bizarre thing to hear out of the mouth of God in the flesh, the Son of God. Father, why have you forsaken me? What was it that he felt? What was going on that that almost blasphemous cry should come out of the Savior's mouth, his last moments on the cross? It was what is talked about in Acts, the pains of death. True death is not the physical cessation of life, but true death is the separation of the soul from life from God. And that's why the Bible says we as sinners are walking around already dead. That's why we need to go and tell the dead before they die that they don't have to die with a dead soul. Jesus, for the first time in his life, felt that death, that separation. The pain of death is, imagine, every sense of failure. Have you ever failed at something if anyone is here that's been divorced, married and divorced, you know what I'm talking about. I can't say this from experience. Not everybody's experienced divorce, but temptation to murder has probably crossed a lot of minds. Um, so everybody has gone through, you know, experiences where you just wish you were dead. Have you ever even said it, even to yourself, I wish I were dead. I wish I were dead. It's the most awful, terrible feeling. And you know, some people who go through that feeling carry it out and they kill themselves before death comes. They end their life because they can't stand living with that pain, not one more moment. And it's such a horrible tragedy and such a grief. We cling to life However terrible it can be, we cling to it. We don't want to die. We want to be alive. The Bible says the pain of death, it was not possible for it to hold Jesus, but it touched him. He felt it. He felt that feeling on behalf of every human who has ever lived, every parent who's lost a child, every husband or wife that has lost a spouse, everyone that has failed a thousand times until they have finally given up in life at trying to be free. Those kinds of pains are what bring eventually death to everybody. And those were the pains that held Jesus. And that's why the devil was so eager to get Jesus to the cross. He couldn't wait. He was licking his chops. He was goading the, the, the high priests along and and uh, there was Pilate digging his heels and trying to stop it because he sensed there's something wrong here. This man doesn't deserve to die. But even Pilate had to stop. The devil put out a case that was irrefutable, took Pilate hostage, if you will, by threatening to report him to Caesar. 
You could see Satan working, pushing, trying to rush Jesus to the cross, thinking, oh, my dreams, I will own the human race. I can take them all with me. I will then be God. And uh, the whole time Jesus held the secret, he knew exactly the devil's going to end himself by killing me. I am the Lamb of God, sacrificed. I will win humanity in my death. And he even let it out a little bit, but the devil's, you know, he's too dumb to figure it out. When he said to Pilate, to this end I was born, and you don't take my life, I lay it down. Whew. Oh man, I, I just, how could, Jesus well, obviously had a lot of character. I would have been saying stuff all the way. You fool, you don't know what's about to come down on your head. I would be talking it up, but then again, I can be a little cheesy, but not Jesus. Man, he was agape on a mission, perfect. So, death gripped Jesus before he died. He felt that separation. He felt every feeling you have ever gone through, and perhaps some that you may be going through right now in your life. Regret is a form of death. It, it lodges itself in our hearts. It lodges itself in our minds. It paralyzes people. They can't get up and, and function. They may have, you know, 10 good fingers, 10 good toes, eyes that work, but they have a paralysis that's gripped their life. I'm trying to talk to you about the, the par paralyzing effect of sin. And uh, we talk about sin in terms of deeds and doing good deeds and bad deeds, but the real horror of sin is its effect upon lives, the paralysis, the brokenness, the destruction. People end up, by the time they finally do die, oftentimes they are just their soul. If you could actually see their soul, many times that soul is, if they don't know the Lord, if they haven't received his freedom, is just beaten and bruised and crippled and shriveled like a raisin. It's a good thing we don't live a thousand years. We could only hack 80, 90 years of living in this world. Oh, but praise the Lord. It was all necessary for death to grip Jesus because death, when it sunk its teeth into Jesus, when death sunk its claws into Jesus, it grabbed hold of a life that it was not possible. Jesus blew up in death's hands. I mean, the Bible says he destroyed death. He absolutely defeated the grave. And when the scripture says it was not possible for him to be held in its power, he broke out, destroying, breaking the pain of death. It's that resurrected Jesus who now lives in you. The one that death cannot hold on to. The one that the pains of death, defeat, despair, all of those things, can no longer hold is the life that's living in you. I'm trying to tell you today that when that death grip of failure and disappointment, sin, whatever it might be, gets a hold of you, if you're a Christian, born-again Christian, he lives in you, the life that death could not hold, 
the life that killed death lives in you. That condemnation can't hold you if it couldn't hold Jesus. That discouragement can't hold you if it could not hold Jesus. Death in all of its forms cannot hold you if it could not hold Jesus. Glory to God. Somebody say praise the Lord. I close with this little psalm. It's, it's not the whole psalm. It's just a little verse out of Psalm 3. Many there be that say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the lifter of my head. Somebody say glory to God. Close your Bible and stand with me this morning. When Jesus was preparing us for the last days, when the world would become exceedingly dark and life would be turned upside down and insanity would rule in place of common sense, that day that he foresaw and warned, of that day he spoke a little piece of advice. He said, when you see that day, rejoice and look up. Lift your head and look up for your redemption draws near. He told us to look up in that day so that death would not be able to hold you, would not be able to affect you. When darkness descends, glory to God, lift up Jesus, the light of the world. Because when he's lifted up, Satan comes down. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Saints, he's worthy this morning. We're going to have an altar call right where you're